back in Genesis chapter number 1. Uh, just getting started, I was uh, tell, talking to Pastor Kent today as I was working on tonight's lesson. I said, we're we going to be in Genesis 1 for the rest of the year. I mean, there's just so much here in Genesis 1, but I really don't think we'll be there that long. But, uh, boy, there's just a tremendous amount in Genesis chapter number 1, and we want to take a a little bit and look at that. I do. I do want to say thank you to Joey. I got Joey. I got your pilot coffee cup this this evening. Thank you, Joey. And uh, Melissa for Christmas bought me a box of coffee. Now, those of you that don't like coffee, this won't make any sense to you. And those of y'all who who have only certain types of coffee, this won't make any sense. But Melissa bought me this box. And in the box was all different varieties of coffee. I mean, every different thing she could find, she put in the box. And I'm telling you, I've been having a time since Christmas. I drink something different every night. Boy, I'm telling you, there's some good coffee she got for me. But So this isn't pilot coffee, Joey, just a pilot cup, just so you know. But anyway, getting here into the book of... Uh, uh, Genesis, look at Genesis uh, chapter 1. Uh, last week, uh, we began looking at the creation account, and we looked at the first three days of creation. And when we, we looked at that, we divided it apart, and we said the first three days is where God established life on the earth. And as, after we looked at those first three days, we then looked at a picture of salvation, uh, how that God took the earth that was without form and void and covered with darkness, and he put light in it, and he put life in it, and he made something that was a worthless blob, something beautiful. And we've seen how that God can take a, a sinner that is without God and has no light in his life, and God can bring light and bring life. Uh, so I've uh, seen a great application there in the beginning of creation. Now tonight we're going to continue through the creation account and look at the final three days of the creation process. And I'll just be real honest with you, I don't believe there's any way we're going to finish this outline tonight. Uh, I had all intention of uh, covering all of this tonight, but I really don't think it's going to happen. I think we're going to do point one, and then we'll finish it next week is where I think we're going to be. So I'll just let you know that ahead of time. But we're going to continue looking at these final three days of the creation process uh, where God establishes law. So first in the creation, God established life. Now he establishes law. One thing that is true of our God, which is clearly portrayed from the earliest record that we have of his involvement with mankind. Now we know that God always has existed. He always has been. He always will be. Uh, so there are things about God we have no idea about. But the earliest record we have of his involvement with mankind is the importance that God places on order. Uh, God likes things to be done orderly. God is all about keeping things done decently and in order. And from the very beginning of time, God established guidelines, boundaries, limitations, and rules. And the reason he put these into place was to protect and ensure the consistent continuation of his creation for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. God created this earth. He created everything on it. And then he set in place these guidelines, these rules, these boundaries so that it would make sure that it ran the way it was supposed to run for thousands of years. This establishment of order from the very beginning just reveals right off the bat the foolishness of evolution. Because evolution says that everything started chaotically and little by little by little has became more orderly. 
Well, anybody who knows anything about everyday life, you don't have to know anything about creation, you don't have to know anything about evolution, all you know about is everyday life. If you've experienced everyday life, you understand that unless you put some guidelines and some boundaries and some consistent practices in place, your life falls apart. It never starts from chaos and gets better. Just look at your kid's room. It never gets better. If it starts with chaos, it gets, it gets worse. If it starts orderly, unless there's some guidelines, it gets worse. And so the very nature of what we see God doing in establishing law proves the falsehood of evolution. There can't be any way that it is true when we see that God who created a perfect world put guidelines, boundaries, orders in place to keep it running the way it is supposed to run. And so we know that science has proven over and over and over again that everything, everything that exists in this world is in a state of deterioration. Everything that exists is deteriorating in our entire world. Everything's deteriorating, and the only way to prolong it, man has finally got wise enough to realize the only way to prolong the deterioration of our world is to uh, set in place some organized oversight. That's the only way we're going to get more life out of this. We've got to limit uh, how many trees we cut down. We've got to limit how many animals we kill. Uh, we've got to put some guidelines on this uh, uh, to, in order to make it last. Science has proved that left to itself, it'll deteriorate. And at the very beginning of time, God set in place some order that proved that he created it and if we follow his order, it will continue forever. So in these uh, final three days, we see that God established law on the earth. The first thing that we see in verse 14 down through verse number 19 is that the heavenly bodies were created to rule. The heavenly bodies were created to rule. Look there in verse number 14. The Bible says, And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Here in this passage, we see the creation of the sun, the moon, and the stars. Miss Kale, could you get me a tissue? I cut myself earlier, and it has decided to bleed. If you could grab that for me, thank you. All righty. Uh, now, it's important to, to realize, it's important to remember, thank you, sweetie, that this was not uh, the creation of light. The creation of the sun, moon, and stars was not the creation of light, but instead it was the creation of heavenly bodies which would govern the light. We know that the, the sun or that light was created on the first day, but the sun, moon, and stars weren't created until the fourth day. And so I want to point out three defining characteristics about these heavenly bodies, the sun, moon, and stars. First, I want to consider their distinction the distinction of these heavenly bodies. These passage mentions as three different sources of light that were created to govern the day and the night. 
The first one we see there in verse number 16 is the greater light. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day. Now, although it doesn't name the greater light as the sun in this passage, we know that that is speaking of the sun and the lesser light to rule the night. When we look at this passage and we see that God, that it says that he created the greater light to rule the day, I want to point something out to you here that I hadn't seen before, but as I looked at it, I'm like, wow, I've got to share this with everybody. This, this verse proves the accuracy of the Word of God and proves that the Word of God was not something dreamed up by man, but rather was written by the inspiration of God. Because it says here in verse number 16 that he made the greater light to rule the day. But he did not say the greatest light. He made the greater light to rule the day, but he didn't say the greatest light. Now, if this book had been written by someone who only had a human eye perspective of the night sky, they would have assumed that the sun was the greatest light in the night sky. Because to our naked eye, it appears that the sun is indeed the biggest, brightest thing in the sky. But whenever the author wrote this, he said, the greater light, not the greatest light. The reason I believe that he said the greater and not the greatest proves that this was inspired word of God because there are stars that are 10, 20, 100 times bigger than the sun that emit far more light than the sun has ever emitted. Way greater lights than the sun. Way bigger lights. But in proximity to the earth, looking and considering the sun and the moon, the sun was the greater light of the two. The sun wasn't the greatest light. But if Moses or any other author thousands of years ago would have wrote this on their own accord, they would have recorded it as the greatest light. But this was inspired word of God and God recorded it as the greater light, recognizing that whoever wrote this book had a much bigger understanding of the solar system than man ever did. And so we see that the greater light is the sun. But then the second distinction we see is the lesser light. The lesser light, which we know as the moon. There in verse number 14, he made the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. Uh, so the lesser light we know as the moon, and the moon we know is a reflector. It's a mirror strategically placed, uh, strategically aligned to provide a night light uh, to the earth. Uh, it keeps the earth from being left in total darkness. It gives a, a dim reflection of the sun. It allows the earth to rest, but prevents it from being encased in total darkness, the lesser light that rules the night. And then thirdly, we see the final distinction of the heavenly body set to rule the light in the end of verse number 5. With these five words, he made the stars also. And now, I'm, I'm hoping that in a couple of weeks uh, we're going to watch a video that just uh, shows the uh, magnificence of our solar system and all that is encompassed there. But I think it's just amazing that God took something so, so vast and he said he made the stars also. Something that overwhelms our mind, something that is beyond our comprehension, something that we can't even fully explain was almost an afterthought to God. And I, well, I tell you, I think that's just amazing. I, I look at the stars and to us they're just dots in the sky. 
But if you get up close and through telescopes and things, you get up close and look at them, it, the, the sky up above us is a very precisely synchronized group of flaming orbs flying all over the sky in such precision that you can track them backwards as far as you want and there's never a mistake. You can predict as far forward as you want and there's never a mistake and they're just balls of fire under the complete control of God. And he said, he made the stars also. And like I said, I do have a video uh, coming. I wasn't planning to watch it tonight, but it was supposed to be here today. didn't show. Hopefully it'll be here soon. The next couple of weeks we've got a video that just uncovers some of the magnificence of all that God created there in those five words. And I have something else I want to tell you about this, but I'm saving it for that lesson with the video. So I'm having a hard time moving on because I'm really bad wanting to tell you, but we're going to move on So because i got to save it for the night we showed the video. So, but uh, in addition to their distinction, we need to consider their purpose. When God put these stars in the sky, uh, not only uh, did he, uh, when he put these lights, not only did he give them distinction, but he gave them a purpose. You know, I believe this goes to show us that everything God does, He does it with a purpose. God never does something accidentally. He never has, does something just because it was what was left over. Uh, a lot of y'all know that Joel makes these uh, knives and uh, has sold a few of them, and occasionally he'll have one, and uh, somebody will want a remake of it, and Joel will say, I'll say, do you have a pattern? Or Joel will say, no, that, was a, that one was a mistake. Uh, or that was a leftover piece of steel I had, and I just, I just whipped that up because I had that, that. That wasn't supposed to look like that. No, I don't have a pattern for it. It was, it was an afterthought. There is nothing with God that isn't done on purpose with a purpose. Nothing is accidental. Nothing is just because. But everything that God does is intentional. And you know, this again makes so much more sense than evolution. I mean, when, when evolution claims that everything we see with all its precision, with all its accuracy, with all its uh, reliability is the product of chance, I don't see how any sound person can agree with that. There is no doubt that the creation has to be the intentional result of a creator. And everything that God does is intentional. I honestly myself find the Bible record of creation far easier to believe than evolution. I mean, just based on my experiences with life, looking at which one makes most sense, uh, creation is far easier to believe. So anyway, what is the purpose of these lights in the sky? In verse 14, And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. There are four things that we see here in this verse concerning these light. And we see four things here. First of all, we see a reliable clock. A reliable clock. Whenever we look at the sun, the moon, and the stars, we see a reliable clock. Here a few weeks ago, I bought a clock for Melissa. 
and, and for Miss Debbie as well. But Melissa asked for it, Miss Debbie. Um, but she said that whenever they play the piano, uh, that it's kind of, you know, difficult to look up here at the clock and keep track of when service is supposed to start, you know. They'd be a lot better if they had a little clock just sitting right there on the piano that they could see right there with their notes. And so, so I ordered Melissa a clock. And every service, we reset that clock. Every service, we reset it because it's always wrong. And by the time church starts, it's normally off by a couple of minutes. I mean, it just, it absolutely cannot keep time. I don't know what's wrong with it. We've changed batteries. It's just a terrible clock. If I'd paid more than $5 for it, I'd return it. But I just didn't figure it was worth shipping back. But uh, it, it doesn't, it's not reliable. I, we came in this evening and looked at it, and it was, uh, I don't know, like said like uh, 5.45, and it was nearly time for church to start. I mean, it's just completely unreliable clock. It does not keep time at all. But when God created the sun, moon, and the stars, he established in the sky a reliable clock that has never, ever missed. It's a reliable, dependable system that for centuries has accurately marked the beginning and ending of every 24-hour day. Never wavered. For centuries, it has marked the 24-hour day. I did a Google search on uh, why is, are the days 24 hours long? Just to see what kind of results I would get. And I found several articles that linked uh, the 24-hour day to the Egyptians measuring time with sundials. And they would explain how that the Egyptians invented time because they would measure with their sundial. And they decided that there was a 10-hour a day with an hour for sunrise and an hour for sunset, making 12 hours, and then they designated 12 hours to the night. And I'm like, yeah, but what were they going by? And nowhere could I find a secular article. Of course, I could find Christian articles. Nowhere could I find a secular article that said, all we do is measure time. Everybody tried to give the 24, the, the uh, record or the... the uh, What's the word I'm looking for? I can't remember. Anyway, uh, they, could, they wanted to give man uh, the, the... I can't think of that word, but anyway, they wanted man to have the, the, the value of it or whatever. Uh, the what? Credit. That's the word I'm looking for. They wanted man to have the credit for establishing a 24-hour day, and they, they wouldn't acknowledge that the 24-hour day was established by God and always has been and always will be never changed, never altered. It is always the same. And they, they couldn't give God the credit for it, but God established a reliable clock. You could be stranded on an island with nothing uh, but your pocket knife and yourself, and although you may not know if it's 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock, you can mar accurately mark off every day that you're on the island relying on the clock that God has set. It's a reliable clock. Also, if you... Uh, Want to know how long till sunset? You look at the sun over top of the mountain, you hold your hand up, and however many fingers, is, each finger is 15 minutes uh, between the sun and the top of the mountain, and that's almost dead accurate. I mean, every time. Uh, Melissa and I was in Waynesboro uh, a while back, and she said, do we have time to run up on the uh, parkway and watch the sunset? And I looked at the sun, and I said, we got 45 minutes. Let's go. <laughs> and uh, I mean, we nailed it almost perfect. And so it's a reliable clock. It's dependable. Never changed. When God set the sun, moon, and stars in the sky, he gave us a reliable clock. <clears throat> but also he gave us an established compass 
an established compass. There in verse number 14 it says, And let them be for signs. That word signs means a beacon, a flag, a mark. Let them be for signs. And so we see that we have an established compass. We all know that the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, uh, which of course that's actually caused by the rotation of the earth. And what that means is that the sun remains at a fixed point in relation to the earth, providing a consistent marker in the sky, which has provided direction to many, many travelers who would have otherwise been completely lost. Now, when I was a kid and my dad, he'd just turn me loose and let me go in the woods when I was just a kid, you know. And I wasn't sure where the sun rose and where it set. And sometimes it didn't help me a whole lot because I couldn't remember. But once I got that line out, you know, it rises in the east and sets in the west, uh, you can always follow the sun out. It is a reliable compass. It's an established compass. It is always true. Nothing has ever upset it. Now, I believe that the earth is about 6,000 years old. I believe we can find that through the word of God. But if you want to go the evolutionist route and say the earth is billions of years old, well, that's even a bigger miracle because it has never wavered or moved, not once. God established a compass that would provide direction to mankind. And when you look at these things that God created, remember, God did not have to create the sun, moon, and stars. He had created light on the first day. He did not have to create these things that would establish time, that would establish days, that would establish direction. He didn't have to do that. All this he did for our benefit. This is just for us because the entire creation was made for us. But not only do we see an established compass, but we also see that these, the rulers of light also provide a predictable climate, a predictable climate. It says there, in verse number 14, let them be for signs and for seasons. In Genesis 8, verse number 22, the Bible says, While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. He established a predictable climate when he put the sun, moon, and stars uh, in the sky. Now, uh, from year to year, uh, the seasons may vary a little bit uh, in their intensity. Uh, you go to different regions and the seasons may vary in their intensity. Uh, but the position of the sun and the moon faithfully rotate year after year and we have our spring, summer, fall, and winter every year. Uh, God said we put them there and they will have a, you will have a predictable climate because I've set these in the sky to rule. Now, there is a common teaching, and, and I'm going to explain it just a little bit here. You may have heard it. Matter of fact, I'm, I'll be surprised if you haven't heard it. There's a common teaching that in the end days, you won't be able to tell the seasons apart. I'm sure you've heard that. And any time that we have a 70-degree day in the, in the wrong season or we have an extra cold day in the wrong season, people are going to tell you, oh, it's the end of time. That's what's going on. If the leaves fall off a little bit early or the leaves fall off a little bit late, oh, it's the end time. You can't tell the seasons apart. Have a really mild winter, no snow, yep, end times. Can't tell the seasons apart. It's a very common thing. People talk about, the, you know, that the seasons will become blurred together at the end times and you won't be able to tell the seasons apart. But, you know, truthfully, this is nowhere taught in the Bible. 
It's not in the Bible anywhere. The Bible does not teach this at all anywhere. Matter of fact, the Bible teaches quite contrary to that. This, this teaching was actually made popular by a Catholic priest named Padre Peo, and he wrote a prophetic book. And he titled the book, Three Days of Darkness. And in this book, he stated that in the end times, you would only be able to tell the seasons by the changing of leaves. And that's where this came from. It's the only place it's ever been taught outside of hearsay was in this book. And he said, at the end time, you won't be able to tell the season. But it's nowhere taught in the Word of God. Matter of fact, it's, the Bible teaches quite the opposite. Genesis 8.22 that we just read, while the earth remaineth, Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. The seasons aren't going to become blurred. They're not going to run together. You might have an Indian summer or, or an Indian spring, whatever you want to call it. You might have a warm day in a season. You might have a mild winter, but the seasons will always remain as long as the earth remains. In Jeremiah 33, verse 20 and 21 the Lord was ensuring or, or stating his uh, confidence in the fact that the house of David would always remain on the throne. And here's what he said in Jeremiah 33, 20. Thus saith the Lord, If ye can break my covenant of the day and my covenant of the night, and that there should not be day and night in their season, then may also my covenant be broken with David my servant, that he should not have a son to reign upon his throne, and with the Levites, the priests, my ministers. The Lord is saying here, you know how sure I am that David's always going to be on the throne? He said, if you could break my covenant that there will always be day and night, winter and summer, if you can break that, then you can break the fact that David will always be on the throne. You can't break it. It's never, ever changing. And there are multiple other verses in the Word of God that show us the Bible teaches that as long as the earth exists, there will always be seasons. By putting these lights in the sky, he established, he established forever uh, a predictable climate. And then this promise of consistency in the movements of the sun, moon, and stars ultimately provides us with the fourth promise. And that is that they are there in the sky to be a consistent calendar. There in verse number 14, it says, For days and years, a consistent calendar. The consistent rising of the sun marks each day. The phases of the moon track each month. The four seasons signify another year. And time is accurately recorded and tracked by the unwavering faithfulness of God demonstrated in these lights that he set in the sky. A consistent calendar. You can keep track year after year after year. Matter of fact, our calendars are based on what God set in place. That's what they're based on. God provided us by putting these in the sky. He has provided man with a consistent calendar. Now the one thing that we, do, that we see that the sun, moon, and stars do not track is the week. We'll look more at that when we get to the completion of the creation on the seventh day. But it's interesting that the sun, moon, and stars tell us each day. The sun, moon, and stars tell us each month. The sun, moon, and stars tell us each year. But they don't define the week. But God defined the week. And so we'll look more at that when we get there. But he gave us a consistent calendar. 
The third thing I want to point out about these great lights is their significance. Their significance. There's a couple of interesting facts about these lights that I believe are significant in regard to defending the creation account against skeptics and doubters. Those that would doubt the creation or those that would question the creation, there's some significance in the sun, moon, and stars that uh, undermines their arguments. First of all, the sun, moon, and stars were created to be immediately visible. They were created to be immediately visible. And, visible. and what this does is it proves the principle of a mature creation. So this proves that when the creation, when God did the creation, it was at a mature state. Many people want to argue that there's no way that the earth is only 6,000 years old because there are stars that are such a distance away that it would take millions, even billions of years uh, for their light to reach the earth. So the fact that we can see those stars uh, says that the earth has existed for millions and billions of years uh, because it had to take that long for the light to get here. But whenever we look at the fact that the Bible says he made the stars also, we understand that the stars were immediately visible on earth. Therefore, the creation was made in a mature state. When God created it, uh, He created the stars with their light paths already in place. You're like, oh, He couldn't have done that. If He can create the star, He can create the light path. This is not a big deal for Him. It's a, not a big deal for God to create a mature creation. And the fact that He made the stars undermines the argument that says, oh, but the earth must be millions of years old, which... My country boy way of thinking is if nobody was here looking at the stars, would have the light got here? You know, but anyway, that's just, <laughs> you know, like if a tree falls into the forest and nobody's there to hear it, doesn't make a sound. If nobody was here to see the light, did, did it get here? Anyway, that's not Bible. That's just me being dumb. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, the fact that they're immediately visible undermines uh, the idea that the earth is billions of years old. It proves that uh, we have a mature uh, creation. When God created the earth, he created everything in a mature state. Uh, everything was established at the beginning completely developed, meaning that at creation there were full-grown trees. At creation there were uh, grown fish, birds, and animals uh, uh, that were ready to start reproducing immediately. Adam and Eve were created completely mature. And in case anybody's ever pondered over this question, the chicken came before the egg. It was a mature creation. God created everything completely mature. Understanding that the stars were completely visible at the beginning confirms the hand of a creator who established everything at a fully developed state when he created it. <clears throat> Which opposes the theory that everything developed over billions and billions of years. And then the other significant fact we see about these lights <clears throat> is that they were created after the plants. They were created after the plants. Remember, the plants were created on the third day, and the sun, moon, and stars were created on the fourth day. This refutes the day-age theory. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of the day-age theory, uh, but the day-age theory is similar to the gap theory. Uh, the gap theory uh, was 
thought up by uh, people who wanted to try and reconcile the Bible account of creation with the geological supposed evidence that said the earth was billions of years old. So they inserted millions or billions of years between the first two verses of Genesis. Well, the day-age theory is another theory that tries to reconcile creation with uh, the supposed age of the earth. But instead of putting it between verse 1 and 2 in one solid piece, they say that each day of creation represented an age. And this age could have been thousands of years or millions of years. It all depends on who you read after. Some uh, stick with a thousand years. Some uh, uh, insert millions or billions of years. Each day uh, represents millions of years. So, you know, it took millions of years uh, uh, for light to be developed. It took millions of years uh, uh, for the grass and plants to be developed. It took millions of years for the lights to be developed. But the problem with this is that if each day of creation represents an extended period of time, we have a problem with the order of creation. Now, if every day of creation was a normal 24-hour day, we don't have a problem. Grass, plants, herbs were created on the third day. On the fourth day, sun, moon, and stars. Everything's in place. The seasons are in place. Everything is operating as it should so that they can reproduce and mature and and, uh, have more plants and more animals. Everything's just exactly like it ought to be if we're talking 24-hour periods. But if each day is a million years, then we got a problem because those trees and those grasses and those herbs aren't going to make it a million years while they're waiting on the sun, moon, and stars. There is a big problem here. So we see that the creation of the sun, moon, and stars is very significant in that it undermines the day-age theory that would say that every day was millions of years when the Bible clearly teaches that they were 24-hour periods. By creating the lights after the plants, the Lord gave solid proof that the creation consisted of six literal 24-hour days not thousands or millions of years. I wonder, could it be, could it be that God ordered the creation this way just to disprove the theories of man? He put it in place just in this order so when man began to think up his own ideas, God's account would undermine. You know, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse number 20, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? You drop down to verse number 25. It says, Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I believe we we need to realize that everything makes more sense when we let God be true and every man a liar. Just trust what he says. Let God be true and every man a liar. Now next week we'll look at the second half of this lesson uh, where the human being uh, is commanded to rule. First, uh, we see the heavenly bodies were created to rule. Next week we'll look at the human being being commanded to rule. That actually reads a little funny. I've read that and you could say the human being commanded to rule or the human being 
commanded to rule. So read it either way you want. I can't never figure out how I want to read it. But uh, we'll be looking at that. And uh, whenever I was preparing this lesson, I said the first part here about the heavenly bodies being created to rule, that'll be the short part, and then I'll move on into the main part of the lesson. And then I realized that there was no way that we were going to be able to get into the main part if the short part was this long. So next week we'll look at the human being commanded to rule and continue looking through that. Hopefully this will be